Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. This is Gilbert Joy, your host. Today, joining me is Alex Charfin. And I first heard about Alex when I was looking through a website called FreeUp. So FreeUp is a website that people find outsourced workers through. And you know, work, like, I got an introduction through one of my digital nomad friends. And I saw that Alex had a testimonial on that website. So I checked it out and I thought it was really interesting and brought out a lot of interesting parts about hiring remote workers. And especially nowadays, we have people working from home. We have companies that are operating out from home. Everyone's going online. Everyone's going doing meetings on Zoom and all of this. So it would be very interesting to have him talk about his experience with growing his businesses because he's, he's had uh, over three decades of experience running various uh, companies from different fields. And uh, now we're in the online space. Um, it would be very interesting to hear like how um, he's been able to build you know, seven, you know, eight-figure business from having remote workers and having uh, outsourced workers and how, how it's all structured. Welcome to the Live Your Edge podcast. This is Gilbert Joy, your host. The Live Your Edge podcast is where I interview seven and eight-figure entrepreneurs, influencers, and successful business owners who in their own right were able to create a life on their own terms. We talk a lot about stepping out of your comfort zone, but what does it really mean to be in discomfort and how you can expand your so-called comfort zone by being able to constantly test and challenge yourself. Welcome to the show, Alex. Yeah, thanks, Gilbert. It's great to be here, man. So tell us about like your experience when it comes to, you know, working with nowadays, like everyone is working from home and a lot of your business, of course, is conducted online. So how do you structure all of that? Like, how do you work across different time zones? And tell us about kind of like your, the frameworks that you, you use in your business. Yeah, you got it, Gilbert. So, um, you know, it's interesting that, that this feels like a new phenomenon to everybody. When I was in my 20s, I'm 47. When I was in my 20s, starting in 1993, I ran a consultancy out of, out of Florida and first out of Orlando, then out of Fort Lauderdale. And I worked out of my house and I had offices in the US, like people who worked out of their home offices. We also had physical offices in Mexico and in Argentina and in Brazil. And so I had this organization that I ran remotely. So I've been doing this, like this remote work, virtual type work for a long time. Wow. And, um, I've also had a brick and mortar. I've also, you know, Katie and I also grew a, a large information products business here in Austin um, from 2007 until probably 2014, 15, we had a physical office space. And at one point we had a hundred people in person in Austin in the same place every day. And I can tell you definitively that it's at least for us and for a lot of the people we work with, the virtual work way of working is so much more beneficial than than working yeah. in person and having everybody in the same office in the same time zone even though it feels like that second part might be better you know here's here's what's happened in the coronavirus we've seen this massive shift like there was already a shift from in person in an office to virtual work and we've been seeing that for the last 20 years it's it's been a a constant progression but since March, we've probably had 20 years worth of shift in the last six months. And I, and I don't think that's an exaggeration. You know, we're seeing all types of large organizations go from, you must be in the office, this is when we work, this is how we work, to now they've been forced to let people go virtual. And within three months, they're looking at everything saying, gosh, productivity might've gone up. This actually got easier. Expenses went down. HR complaints are a fraction of what they used to be. That's literally what all these companies are seeing. So I think we're going to see this, this massive permanent shift from in-person working to virtual. And so for me, I, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm from Latin America. I was born in Mexico. I, uh, I immigrated to the United States when I was five years old. My mom was American, so I did it with a US passport. Um, but still, I think being born outside of the United States and coming here gives you a completely different perspective. I actually love having an international team. I love the fact that we have a Venezuelan designer that lives in, you know, overseas in Ireland. I love that we have team members in the Philippines that are full-fledged real team members of ours that are just crushing it. When we're asleep, they're doing stuff that, that we, you know, that during, during, while we're literally, while we're sleeping, 
our problems are being taken care of in the Philippines, you know, and, and, and I live here in Texas and there's only one person on my team that lives in Texas. The rest of them are distributed all over the place. And so we have 15 people in, in different parts of the United States and different parts of the world. And to me, it, here, here's such a massive advantage of running a virtual versus a brick and mortar business. One of the biggest issues I dealt with when we ran our business in Austin was finding people in Austin. And by the time we were at 50 or 60 people, <clears throat> we were at the point where we were recruiting from around the United States. And then in order to get somebody to come work with us, oftentimes we had to pay their moving costs and we had to pay them to, you know, we had a $20,000 bonus just to get people to come to Austin to work with us. Today, I can work with the best talent no matter where they are in the world and we set it up all virtually. And so you asked about some of the systems, Gilbert. <clears throat> That's what we do. So as a company, we show entrepreneurs, mostly expert entrepreneurs, mostly you know, a lot of, lot of new economy entrepreneurs, we show them how to create a clear strategic plan, so a roadmap for the company that, that is clear, that is easy to understand. We show them how to communicate that plan to their team so that everybody knows not only what the plan is, but knows what their role is. And then we show them how to build the infrastructure of their company so they get consistent execution. Well, when you apply those models to a virtual workforce, it's, it's like taking a blazing fire and throwing gasoline on it. Everything gets more explosive and everything gets more intense. I'll give an example, Gilbert. We work with um, a company that was previously in person. It's uh, Cosmos Barbecue, uh, Cosmos Q. It's owned by a guy named Darian Kazravi. We've been working with him for a couple of years. I think when we started working with Darian, his business was at around a couple million dollars a year. And uh, to give everybody context, Darian's company, well, his, I, his friends call him Cosmo, so I'm just gonna call him Cosmo. So Cosmo's company, um, is a barbecue spice and rub and sauce company. And it's not a normal barbecue rub and spice company. They actually sponsor people who compete in barbecues in the United States. I know that this podcast goes out to a lot of Asia. We, we might have to drop a link as to what the hell a barbecue pop competition is to clarify, <laughs> but in the United States, there's huge competitions. They have seven world champions. Well, Cosmo in the last six months, his business has gone from, I think it was right at around six or 7 million. So in the first like year and a half working with us, they went from two to six. And in the last six months, they've gone from around six to 15. And so wow. we're seeing explosive growth. And a lot of what's facilitating that explosive, explosive growth is being able to be virtual, being able to work where people are anywhere, having a clear plan, clear communication, clear infrastructure makes it so you can continue growing, even if you're not in person looking at the other person. Yeah, exactly. Like you brought up a lot of good points where um, you can have people working around the clock and you're sleeping and people are working and you could be like, it, like physically, if you're stuck in traffic or stuff, you know that people are in different cities, different countries that are actually working right now, even though you know that if everyone is in a, the same city working in a physical location, they, they could have, you know, some other constraints and they have to move there. Also, you know, if you have to pay like for potentially their health care, if, if your employee and uh, for, just the like, real estate, just yeah, the real estate the housing rental, is ridiculously expensive. And you can use the, the rentals, like the rental costs to go and hire a few other staff. Well, and, and Gilbert, we're seeing this happen right now in very dramatic ways. Um, Pinterest, yesterday a friend sent me a, an article for Pinterest just paid almost $100 million to cancel a lease, to cancel wow. it. And they're canceling it because this is my belief. I haven't verified this with Pinterest, but I've talked to a lot of companies that are canceling leases. And what a lot of them are telling me is we didn't think we could go virtual and get the same productivity. We were forced into virtual in March. By May, June, we realized it's actually more productive. We have a fraction of the HR complaints. It's a incredibly less expensive. And so you've got companies that are right now saying, okay, let's get rid of the real estate. Let's remove this massive constraint called the building and let's just build our company where people are and join them virtually through having a clear plan, clear communication and a clear infrastructure so people know how they can get stuff done. Yeah, like I heard commercial real estate is, is really going downhill now because, you know, everyone is working from home. And yeah, you, know, you also brought up a good point when you, you were talking about you grew up in Mexico and then that gave you a perspective on uh, having an international team. And personally, I, w I was born and raised in New York. But I, I kind of made the opposite kind of immigration. I, I moved to Asia like uh, close to 10 years ago. And it has allowed me that, you know, I also want the quality talent. And at the same time, you know, to be able to converse with two different, to at least two time zones, sometimes three time zones was really important, like just to operate my business. So having like platforms like uh, FreeUp, you know, 
for example, were were really instrumental. And by the way, this is not a, this is not a commercial for them at all. But it's still it's a great company. Like we yeah. we FreeUp FreeUp actually helped us a ton in finding people. And you know, there's FreeUp's a great option. There's a ton of options out there. It's one that we use, and one that, like you said, I, I gave a testimonial to because they helped us a ton. Um, and and you know, there's there's more than that. When you look at today virtual work is facilitated in so many ways like this, like zoom, being able to connect like this on zoom. We didn't yeah. have, when I was in my twenties, I ran a company through, I ran a virtual company through telephone <laughs> fax machines and federal express CD ROMs. We used to FedEx wow. CDs of our, our information. We like every week we had a FedEx going down to each office. We had a FedEx coming back from each office. Then we would load them up on the computers and we would figure out what was going on because you couldn't transfer information like you do today. If you tried to transfer like, you know, tons of information it would have taken you all day or all night. And I don't know if anybody remembers this. I'm totally dating myself of how old I am here, but like you would be waiting for a transfer to come through and it would get to 99% and hang after 14 hours. And you just oh, sit there wow. thinking, what do I do? And so we had, you know, we, 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 we were able to success or I was able to successfully run a company with my team from an office in Orlando with those very, very basic tools today. I would say there, there, you know, anyone who says that working virtually is a disadvantage hasn't realized how many advantages there are. I actually think the advantage today is the companies that are growing virtually. Yeah. So when, when you talk about like running the, the company virtual is, that many people come across the problem of like, oh, they're worried that people aren't working or they're not getting the certain stuff done. So what kind of processes would you put in place? I know you have like, you know, standard operating procedures, SOPs, all of that stuff. But more importantly, what are the kind of tasks that is essential to find ways to automate, whether through, you know, software like Zapier? What are the tasks that you should have people work on? And what kind of processes like do people have to go through? Do they have like use checklists? Do they use stuff like Notion where they're updating stuff, you know, CRMs and, and so forth? Like what what is the stack, you know, for, for you to operate your team? So, so we we I, I'm I'm gonna sound like a like an old guy right now. So we try to minimize our dependence on software. I know that right. sounds crazy, you know, I think, but I think that, that there's a challenge in a lot of businesses that they have become co completely and totally dependent on a Trello or a Monday or something like that, where everything's so wrapped into the project management software that as you scale, the, the system itself in that system breaks. Like you have to upgrade the system, you have to change how you're using it. And so in our organization and a lot of the organizations that we coach, we teach a, a very simple structure of, of making sure every person in the company knows what they're doing. The way that we show, show companies how to, how to um, delegate, how to make sure that people are doing the right thing is, it's really a process. So first is we wanna make sure that when we hire people, especially if they're going to work virtually, that we hire people which we call true believers. Now there's a book by Eric Hoffer, it's right behind me called True Believer. I thought it was right behind me. Well, anyway, it's back there somewhere, but it's, it's an incredible book on, um, it's actually a book on cults and movements and <laughs> religious movements. But what, what True Believer spells out is, you know, what, what does it take to get someone really involved in something to the point where they're committed to it? And for me, when I'm hiring, especially on a virtual team, I'm looking for people who believe in me, like literally believe in Alex Sharp and like what we, I, oh man, I can't stand when I use my, talk about myself in the third person. So I apologize for the massive <laughs> ego that just got showed, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I will reel that sucker in. Um, but I, I look for people who believe in what, who I am and what I do and the type of things that I talk about. If they don't know who I am, which occasionally people apply who might not know me or have a history with us, we want to make sure they have a high level of belief in what we do. They, they love coaching. They understand coaching. Maybe they've been coached. They've thought about becoming a coach. They're a certified coach. They've seen other people be successful with coaching, so they believe in it. And then we work exclusively with entrepreneurs. So I want somebody coming into our company that really loves entrepreneurs. Now, Gilbert, here's why finding a true believer handles so much of what's going on. A lot of people hire people who don't really care. And if you hire people who don't care, I don't care if you're in person with them or virtual, it's not going to work out. You're going to always be trying to push them in the direction and get them excited and get them to do what you want them to do. And that's near impossible. What I always tell entrepreneurs is if you hire true believers, 
you will never have to motivate them to do what they need to do. If you don't hire true believers, you will never be able to motivate your team enough for you to be satisfied. So first things first, I wanna find the right people who are excited to be a member of our team. You know, it was very cool this morning. We have, we're onboarding um, four, five, four people right now officially. And then there's another one who's gonna be onboarding in a couple of weeks. So our team is growing a lot. And we just brought in um, some, some new people, one in operations, one in coaching, one in our, our IT systems and support. And one of them shared this morning that everywhere else she's worked, when she has brought up an opinion or discomfort or a frustration, she's basically been told, hey, we don't want to hear about that stuff. Like, go fix it. That's what you do. And yesterday, she had sent me a message about some, some discomfort she was feeling around my calendar. And she's, she's trying to manage my calendar. And she really felt like she couldn't win. So she left me a message and said, you know, Alex, I, I don't feel like I can win here. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know. I, I don't think she said I can't win, but she, she did use the word uncomfortable a whole bunch of times. And my message back to her was, Brooke, you know what? I'm so glad you brought this up. Like, let's get on a call. Let's remove the discomfort. Let's understand what's really going on. Let's figure this out together. And this morning in our huddle, she brought up that like she was shocked by that, that in other companies she's worked in, People have told her like, hey, you go deal with it. You handle it. Well, here's how, why I do it different. If I'm bringing in a true believer, I adopt the belief system. They care about our outcome just as much as I do. And when they come to me and they say, hey, Alex, I'm uncomfortable. I'm like, whoa, stop, time out. If you're uncomfortable, we need to figure out how to get you back into being comfortable and understanding what's going on and getting really clear, or we're not going to get to where we want to go. And you know, I, we're, I'm recording this interview when I'm 47 years old. If we backed up 10 years, I would not have told you any of these things. This took a lot of figuring out and a lot of understanding. You know, I, I used to run companies just like the one she described, where if you had a problem, like, hey, keep it to yourself. Don't demotivate everybody else. You know, if you're uncomfortable, well, crap, figure it out. And like, tell me when you're done. And now, you know, especially running a business virtually, it's so crucial to make sure you're listening to the people, make sure you're listening to what's going on and understanding what's happening. So I think that's key is, is hiring true believers, listening to them. And then here's the big thing. When you're running a business, you have to, running a business virtually, you have to get out of transactional management and you have to move to transformational leadership. Let me describe the two, Gilbert. So transactional management is this. It's hiring somebody and telling them what to do, checking that it got done, then telling them what to do, then checking it that got done, telling them what to do, checking that it got done. It is horrible. It's what we refer to as micromanagement. It's why most entrepreneurs say, I'm not a good manager. I can't hire people. I tried and it didn't work. Transactional management will grind you down. It will beat you up. It will make, you know, here's, here's what happens with transactional management. Entrepreneurs hire people and then they turn around and go, I hired someone. It was more work than just doing it by myself. And it is, it really is when you're doing it that way. The shift from transactional management to transformational leadership is required in a virtual setting if you want to achieve as much as you can. And here's the difference. Instead of telling somebody what to do in transformational leadership, we tell them the outcome. We don't say, go make the call. We say, here's the percentage of closings that I want to have in sales. We don't say, go change the funnel. We say, this is the conversion rate we need to have on that landing page. And we tell them the outcome. Then, rather than checking that it got done, because telling them the outcome, you can't really check that it got done. You tell them where they're going. Then you coach their success along the way. And then you get leveraged results. Here's what happens. When you give somebody the outcome rather than the thing to do, they start thinking for themselves. When you coach them, you help them learn how to think for themselves in your organization. And when you continue to coach them, you get massive leverage results because you get the outcome you wanted. You have now taught that person to think for themselves within your organization. You've helped them, you've coached them, you've, com you've conveyed information and support to them in a way that now they know they can succeed in your company. So for me, it's really those three things. It's hiring true believers, making sure you give them a voice and you listen to them and they feel protected and then giving them clear outcomes, coaching their success along the way so that you get leverage results. That's, that's not just success in a virtual company, it's success in any company. Yeah, you brought up a good point where if they're true believers, they'll take the initiative to point out things that are not working and then, then you can sit down and, and work with them and see how you can help them do their job better. Uh, so ultimately it helps the company because now you've, you have like less things that break and no doubt. And, and then you, and then now you're talking like transformation is once you have the outcome, 
and they're just going to figure out different ways even if it's even if you might had you might have your own way of doing it but then they found a better way to do it and then they would just implement that and maybe that becomes the default or the standard uh, for the future yeah, right no question so after implementing these three things do you have them document the the kind of uh, workflows they go through or do you have pre-existing workflows that you want them to at least attempt even though you, you it just all mentioned yeah. it depends so in a growing company there's no way you can have everything documented you know i think that's that's one of the the big fallacies of like i'm going to go document my whole company well you can document it for today by tomorrow you're going to need more documentation if you try to do everything and so it all depends the way that we work is we have a system a structure called the cadence and this is what not only what our company uses this is what we coach and we share with other organizations and the cadence is a system through which you have very clear strategic plan so a roadmap that everyone knows where the company is going that it gets renewed every 30 days so every 30 days we are going and creating a new strategic plan distributed to everybody on the team then we have a communication structure where we meet with the team and in, in a predetermined way they know that it's coming they know what's going to happen so everyone on the team knows when they're meeting with their department they know when they're meeting with their supervisor they know what they're they're responsible for in those meetings and then we also individually coach our team members so every one of our team members works in the cadence understands their role in it and then has support they have support from their direct supervisor they have support typically from a cross-functional leadership or manager too if they're doing more than one thing in our company and then they have support from the entire leadership team if they need to reach up and say hey something's not right something's wrong with what i'm doing i'm uncomfortable with something they can get that and so for us it's it's not about having every sop spelled out and I, I know that's kind of obsessively how a lot of people look at companies or look at running a successful business we have a ton and we are obsessed with documentation but at that same time same token you you know giving the individual what they need to succeed coaching that individual to be able to make decisions coaching that individual to make decisions when something deviates out of the standard operating procedure that's equally as important for us mm, yeah that's you know not just relying on a very hard system but also having the flexibility to allow the company, like you said, to grow because every day is something new that's going to come up. Yeah, so for those companies that right now they're, they're probably, you know, six figures trying to get to seven figures or even those that are, you know, close to getting the seven figures and kind of aiming a little bit, you know, far beyond that. What are, what are some of the things that can consider doing less of that's actually like, instead of trying to do more things, like what, what, what are things that can do less of that's actually like holding them back? You know, when I look at most organizations or most most businesses that are in the six-figure range, one of the biggest mistakes that six-figure entrepreneurs do is spreading themselves way too thin, way too fast. And it's not, it's not probably, it's not one of the biggest, it's probably the biggest mistake that six-figure entrepreneurs do. They're chasing too many avatars, too many products, too many outcomes, too many different things. And it's like kid in a candy shop, like, oh, I'm going to have a podcast and I'm going to have this and I'm going to do this other thing. I'm going to have a promotion. I'm going to have another product. I'm going to have a mastermind, a membership group. And if if you're under seven figures, you should just choose one, one thing. So my, my coaching to, to our members, you know, we, we don't coach on marketing. We coach on scaling and growing businesses. One of the first things we talk about is when you're on your way to seven figures, you want to make sure you're taking a simplified lean company into one to three million, three to 10 million. And what happens to far too many entrepreneurs under one million is they're trying to do all the things all at once and right away. You know, especially in our space, in this online marketing space, Gilbert, what I've seen is, you know, people look to examples of, you know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk or Russell Brunson or, you know, some, somebody who's got massive following and massive, uh, you know, output. And, you know, let's get real. Gary Vaynerchuk, last I heard, had 36 people on his personal social media team. 36 people do all of that stuff that yeah. Gary has in the world on social media. You know, you look at somebody like Russell Brunson. I know Russell really well. He has a massive team that handles all the promotions and the appearances and the pictures and all the stuff for ClickFunnels. And so what happens to too many people, you know, another great example is Dave Asprey. You know, I've known Dave since, since the very early days of Bulletproof when it wasn't Bulletproof, when it was Bulletproof Executive. You know, what a lot of people don't understand about Dave Asprey's Bulletproof company, which is massive and has now, you know, several top selling books, several top selling supplements, now physical locations with biohacking, all kinds of stuff that started 
with a company called Bulletproof Executive, one avatar, Silicon Valley executives, and he sold them coffee on a subscription. And <laughs> one avatar, one promotion, one product got to a million dollars for Bulletproof, and that was the launch pad. I think what happens to way too many people under a million dollars is they look at Dave Asprey, they look at Russell, they look at Gary Vaynerchuk, and they're like, okay, I'm gonna have a YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook page, I'm gonna start doing this, I'm gonna start, and you know, very quickly you realize, You've got so much stuff pointing outwards in so many different places that your efforts are diluted. You're not getting the results you want and you're not really focusing on growing the business. Yeah, and uh, essentially you're, you're just spending so much time trying to put processes in place to handle all of those different things. Yeah. I, I spoke with a, another coach that, you know, her, her, her opinion on this was to have a very high ticket product, like from six to seven figure and just, sell that one product like a 20,000 50,000 program instead of trying to sell a, a, a thousand courses or you know like a, a, you know 10,000 memberships or or something like that so, so my, my assumption yeah. would be that that coach you talk to teaches people how to do high ticket because here's yeah. here's here's you know I I would never say you need to go do high ticket in order to get to a million dollars. Never. Yeah. I mean, Cosmo sells like $20 barbecue rubs, you know? And, um, and we have, we have members who, I mean, we had, we worked with Natalie Hodson who went to over a million dollars with a $37 ebook and her margins were ridiculous. She kept most of that money. And so I don't think there's one path to get there, but I do think that if you have one promotion, like one promotion, for a single product, for a single avatar, when you can dial that in and get it to come in repeatedly, then you're ready to go to the next product. Then you're ready to talk to a different avatar. So for me, it's not so much what price point, what product, you know, what, how you're doing it. It's the fact that there's one promotion, one product to a single avatar to run you up to a million dollars. That will get you there faster than anything else. I would, I mean, for me, like without knowing the person, the business, the level of expertise that's there, what their background is, I would never say, oh, this should be either a $37 ebook or a high ticket item. I also think it has a lot to do with the entrepreneur. You know, some entrepreneurs don't want the pressure of high ticket. They'd like some more separation from their members. And so having a $37 ebook where nobody calls you and nobody expects anything from you, that actually fits Natalie Hodson's personality type really well. She doesn't want a lot of pressure and accountability to other people. She hikes, she she like goes out in nature all the time, like sometimes for three or four days at a time without telling anybody, like she needs to be able to continue to do all that stuff. So for me, you know, choose your vehicle, choose your product, but just don't try and do all the things at once. Yeah. One promotion, one product to one single avatar is the fastest way to get past seven figures. So, so you're saying that, you know, picking those ones is more closely related to your personality and how you want to work with people rather than the actual pricing or the, 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 the path, I would say. Well, I also think it has to do with your, your experience level. You know, yeah. I think if you're in your twenties and you haven't run a major a company yet and you have, you don't really have a resume of past successes going out and so, trying to sell high ticket might be really, really hard, near impossible. And maybe somewhat not ethical. You know, if, if you're out promising something you've never delivered, yeah. I actually have a serious issue with, with that type of coaching. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people in our space that say things like you only have to be a week ahead of your members. That kind of turns my stomach and makes me, makes me very frustrated because, you know, if you don't have a level of expertise, you're leading people down a dark hallway and you don't even know what's at the end of the hallway. And if you're one week ahead of your members, that means they're, they are probably, you know, you're behind where you need to be to be helping them. So for me, it has, you know, as far as picking a product or picking a vehicle, it has a lot to do with who you are and where you are in business and, you know, what level of expertise you have. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be an expert in your 20s. Just get there first and then sell the product. Let me give you a quick example. So um, we work with one of our members is a good friend of mine. Her name's Emily Hirsch. And Emily and I started working together when I think she was 22. And at 22, she had a million dollar Facebook ads agency with four people who were contractors. She was doing everything herself, totally overwhelmed. Well, over the last couple of years, she's gone from doing it all herself to having a team of 30. She's gone from a million dollar agency to a $3 million agency. She actually thinks she's gonna hit way higher run rate in the next couple of months, like four or $5 million agency in the next few months, just based on some of the stuff she's doing. And 
So Emily, Emily was first a virtual assistant, then learned how to do Facebook ads, then sold the service of Facebook ads to some people, then scaled the service of Facebook ads, then she put out a product, a product as a Facebook expert. So now she has two avatars. She sells Facebook ad services through her agency to people who are million dollar plus business owners. And then she has a Facebook ads product called Ignite that she sells to people who wanna do ads for themselves. Now, could Emily have sold an expert product two or three years ago? She could have, but she didn't have the expertise that she needed to to support it. She wouldn't have had. She, she earned that expertise, she gained that expertise. She's one of the, she runs today one of the most successful agencies in the Facebook ad space. So she should present herself as an expert now. So, you know, I think it has a lot to do with where you are, uh, who you are, what you're good at. And, and, and I mean, that, and, and that will lead you in the direction of what you should put out there. So, so you also, you talked about uh, when she started off, she was like a virtual assistant, right? And then she gradually progressed from there to the point where she's able to have a, a program that's really successful and uh, you know, slowly be able to scale. So for those that are kind of, they, they, have, I mean, they have a product to sell, but they know that selling that product, unless it, they can, can continue to, to do that promotion without it breaking, then, then they'll keep doing it. But what if it starts breaking? Should they decide that they need to kind of move up a, a level, right? Maybe not in like pricing or the, the audience wise, but kind of move up like what you, you described with uh, Emily. Maybe Gilbert, but Emily moved up from a foundation that was working. Hmm. If, if you have a foundation that's breaking, unfortunately, this happens all the time in the information products world. Somebody yeah. tries to sell an entry-level product and it doesn't go very well. Then they try and sell something more expensive and they start getting traction. Then they sell something really expensive and they start getting traction because of the marketing, but it has nothing to do with the delivery. And so for me, the most important thing in a information product or in a service business or in a coaching business, any of those businesses is, can you really get the person the result? Not do you think you can, but you know you can. You've worked with enough people through the frameworks you're using, through the information you're using, where you get a consistent result for people, then you, you are, you're in a place where you should decide like, what vehicle am I gonna use to sell this and how am I gonna put this out there? You know, one of the things that I tell people all the time is, if, if, if you want to prove that you can do what you say you can do, go do it for free for 10 or 15 people. Prove your model, show how amazing it is, get testimonials from them, and then go sell it for money. You know, I think today there's far too much, too much emphasis on what can I sell consistently, not what can I deliver consistency, consistently. And I think that the what can I sell aspect of this business is getting a lot of people in trouble. You know, recently, um, we had a, we had, we're, we're in the middle of a major conflict with another person who's in our business, uh, who took one of our downloads, actually the framework for our entire business, we call it the billionaire code, took the billionaire code and copied it almost word for word, format for format, and put it out as his own product called the Dragon 100. Um, this guy named Dan Locke. Oh, yeah. I, I, I saw that. I saw that Mark Winyet did a video on that. Or was it someone else? I'm uh, sure. On, on, yeah, uh, yeah. on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was just like, I was just looking and I just saw it. Just saw it pop up. Yeah, a few guys have. A few guys have. And, yeah. and so, you know, we're in this, this, this massive challenge. And here's why. This is, this is why I'm making such a big deal out of it. The Billionaire Code is a nine-level framework that I've worked on for my entire career. This is literally like life's work. I've had parts of this framework back to when I was like 22 or 23. And it really solidified and became real in the past five years. I've shared it in front of thousands of entrepreneurs at events like ClickFunnels and Capitalism Conference and all, all like Robin Sharma's Titan Summit, Genius Network. Like I've been on some of the biggest stages on the planet, shared it in front of tens of thousands of people. We've had um, tens of thousands of people download the framework from us. It's, it's really our core material and that nine level framework is when you, when you come to us, we actually determine how we're going to coach you based on the framework. And we built our products based on the framework. So in the early stages of the billionaire code, when you're just starting out, we have a product called foundation. Once you get past the couple, first couple stages, we have a product called catalyst where you build your team. Then once you get past building that core team, we have a product called accelerator where you build your team and you build leadership and break it into leadership or break it in, break your company into departments. And so, this is the most foundational content we have and we literally deliver to it. Well, we have this other provider who's out there saying, I deliver to this as well. Well, 
uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going to make any definitive statements about Dan Locke, but I've looked at his background and it's difficult to understand how he could potentially or even possibly deliver what we do. Uh, for him to say that he could have the same outcomes that we have in the same way we do is challenging to me. I'm, I don't know that he said that exactly, but just to take our framework and say, this is what I do. Here's what I see in that. I see somebody who is very good at marketing. He is. He's got a far greater following than I have. He has a lot more subscribers than I have. He has a lot bigger following on YouTube, a lot bigger following on Instagram, every social channel. He beats me, but he's put all his time into the front end marketing and, and now he's taking other people's materials for his delivery, or it, it looks like he's taking other people's materials for delivery. I want to be careful. I don't make any definitive statements. We're, we're in a legal dispute here. So yeah. all of this is alleged. It's not actually, but you know, I, I, to me, what it looks like is that, that, you know, he ran out of gas on the back end and needed help. And so I had to go get stuff from other people. And that is one of the biggest challenges in the information products world today in the coaching world in the online space is that people are selling a result they don't really know how to produce and or selling a result and and they're they've actually taken that result from somebody else and said oh i can do that too even though they haven't done the work and don't have the background and don't have the decades long experience to be able to deliberate and so you know, I think that is, that is someplace we need to be extraordinarily cautious in the online world today. If you can't deliver the actual solution, don't sell it. Yeah, so you brought up a point where it's like a kind of the sale, people are placing a lot more priority on the selling than the delivery. And I know there's, there's people in the space that are really good with the delivery. Like I was, I was actually checking out your, your IG uh, just before this and I saw that you, you, know, you were working with a tacky more. And his stuff is his stuff is really good, and he's kind of like example of someone that you know, delivers delivery wise is, is really good, um, but he he doesn't have that massive following that some of these uh, guys have, and it's a shame that there is a huge disconnect between those those two things. Well, let's call it what it is, Gilbert. You yeah. know, I um based on what you told me before we started recording, you have a lot of younger people listening to this podcast. Yeah. So let's just, let's bottom line it and get real. Let's like pull the curtains back from this online information industry. Here's the biggest problem that I see, or one of the biggest problems that I see today is yeah. that the people who have the most influence went out to get influence. They wrote a book or did a podcast or did a YouTube channel or something so that they could amass followers. And, you know, I have people in our industry tell me all the time, well, you don't understand, Alex, attention can be converted to dollars. And I want to like say back to him, oh no, I do understand how attention is converted into dollars and it is messy and it really doesn't work and it, it breaks all the time. Let me give an example. You know, you have someone and I'm not, I don't want to name names. So I'll just use this hypothetically. Let's just say that you have someone who goes out and writes a book, like aimed at who they were five years ago and says like, you know, hey, five year me, five year ago me, like go out and, and fix things. And it's a really inspirational book. And it's a book that says things that are different and millions of people buy the book. Well, now there's millions of people who are saying, what's next? Well, what you see often is a person who writes a book, like a personal development book. And then within three years, because they have this following, they're a relationship expert and a business expert and a personal growth expert. <laughs> and uh, am I wrong? Yeah. So you know what I'm talking I, about, I see, right? I see that. Like, so basically they go in there to, to become so-called influential and then, yeah. and then tack on all of these other things that are so-called part of their identity so that they can sell a, a course or a program or, or something that they don't really have that kind of a Oh, and, and there's so of. much of this right now. Like right now, there's actually some catastrophic like challenges right now in the influencer space that you're seeing where there's influencers who have done exactly what I just said. They've amassed a tremendous amount of attention. Then they've rolled out the personal development product, the relationship product, the, you know, the business growth product. But there's a little bit of an issue they're getting divorced and the business is falling apart and they're not really growing personally and you can tell by watching them. And so these people with massive influence are trying to convert that influence into dollars. In I think way. I know who you're talking about when you said There's the relationship them, one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't name names. Well, well yeah. And I, I mean, we don't, we don't even have to name names because the story has repeated itself so many times over where somebody has gone out just to get attention. And then we as a society and really as, as buyers, as consumers, we go and we say, okay, who has the most attention? That must be the highest level of expertise. Yeah. In today's world, often the person with the most attention has little or no expertise. They're just mm -hmm. good at getting attention. And so you have to dig in and get, get some, like dig to the next level. In fact, Gilbert, um, 
somebody asked in one of the Facebook groups I'm in, I've got this, this, this paper here in front of me. Somebody asked, asked, how do we find good coaches? Like, how do we find a solid coach? How do you find somebody who can actually help you? And my friend, Julie Stone, um, Stone, I always say her name weird because it's S-T-O-A-I-N, but it's Julie Stone. And she, uh, she gave an answer that I think is amazing. Do you mind if I share it? Yeah, sure. So here's what she said about, about getting, getting help, like going out and hiring somebody. You want customers who, who have stayed with a person for years, not months. Customers who, will, who have had success and will freely recommend the person. Say like, oh yeah, I worked with them and they were great. Not on a testimonial, but when you contact them directly. Influencers who have been around for a while, stay the course of time, aren't a flash in the pan, who show their human side, their messy side, not fake made up messy, but actually like tell you when things are going on. Um, people who, who, if you can meet them in real life, which is kind of hard right now, but meet them in real life and see if the real life per person is the same as the online person. Trust those who talk just as much about profit and saving money as they do sales and revenue. Trust those who aren't afraid to share the harder side of, side of business or admit that when they've made mistakes and be honest with their numbers. Watch how they act with their students and their clients. Watch how they act with those who aren't VIP clients. And then look at how much time they're spending with their customers and their company versus their networking groups and the industry. Mm. And then she also said, here are the things that are not important at all. Clothing, lifestyle, size of their house, perfect power couple, perfect kids, endless vacations, fancy cars, and perfect branding and photos. You know, yeah. that last list is what most people look at and say, oh, I'm going to hire the guy with the Lamborghini. <laughs> don't I, realize. I don't, I don't think that's the case anymore, right? People kind of. Yeah, it's, you know what, Gilbert, I like to think we're moving away from that. I like to think we're moving away from that, but. You know, when I went to do research on Dan Locke on YouTube, every commercial that I saw, like every ad, one out of five was a guy standing in front of a luxury car. It was yeah. such a cliche. Like one of them is actually, I keep seeing this ad with a guy sitting in a Audi R8, which is a very small car and he's sitting sideways so he can talk to the camera and he's got a computer in front of him. And I'm like, <laughs> in what real world scenario you get in an Audi R8 and sit sideways typing on a computer. Like if you're working from your car, it's because all your money's in the Audi and you don't even have a desk. Like that guy, you shouldn't buy anything from him. It's just that picture. <laughs> or he's an Uber driver. Or he's like a Right, exactly. <laughs> it just does not make sense. Here he is presenting himself as an expert on something. I'm like, dude, you're sitting in your car. How weird. Yeah, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of these commercials that YouTube ads, especially YouTube yeah. ads. Uh, the YouTube ads are almost laughable. Yeah. Not almost. Actually, I laugh out loud at a lot of them. They're just so bad. <laughs> so when it comes to, well, you, you did put out a very definitive list, a very good list of uh, how to determine like who, who to actually like follow and who to actually learn from. And of course, having those decades of experience and, and uh, a good point was also the, that they work with the clients for years, not like a few months. And then like, if they're not working with them anymore, then why, why? You know, like if yeah. it's doing so well, we sh they should still be working, right? So why yeah. do they stop? And, and when we, so so for those that are like, you know, they're, they're business owners and during this time where many people are, you know, keeping an eye on their cash, I mean, how much of their resources should they devote to, you know, finding that coach? Hmm. Like, if, of course, you want to have, you want to have that, you know, the a, a bit of a runway, right? In case of any emergency, but the same time. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. I think it's hard to say like, this is exactly how much money you should spend well, or percentage. Yeah, money yeah, you sure, should spend. Sure. But, but here, I'll give you a different answer to that like a, a different answer. Here's, here's what I think happens to way too many people. Way too many people don't decide to pay attention until they start spending money. So here's what I mean by that. They wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I want to put a course online. Uh, this is, I'm going to do this. They go and they run into like the first really good sales page. They pay money. They're into a course experience and they have no clue like what's really going on around it. And today, reputable coaches and consultants and information products, they have so much free information out there that as somebody who's about to spend money, you should go out and consume a ton of free information. You should listen to podcasts and Facebook lives and go read the downloads and, and like go consume everything you can or you have access to from a company before you pay them. And then ask yourself, did all of the free stuff actually help me or did it just make me want to buy stuff more? Because a, a reputable coach, a reputable consultant is going to put stuff out that is going to measurably move you forward. It's going to help you where you are. It's going to give you momentum. If the only thing you're feeling from reading and looking at all the stuff somebody's putting out is like you need to buy their stuff, 
because you didn't get anything from what they put out, then you're probably going to have the same experience on the back end. You know, people who, who are good at what they do, people who coach in a way that, that helps people move forward, they can't help but put out stuff that, that helps people. You know, one of the greatest compliments people give us all the time is they come to us and they say, you know, we, we'd love to understand more about your memberships because I've been listening to the podcast and I've grown my business from 300,000 to 2 million just from our podcast. Wow. And which is 100% possible. Well, Gibber, yeah. we, we put out most of the information people pay for is in my podcast. Mm -hmm. In our platform, there's coaching, there's support, there's a community. It's much better organized, there's resources. But if you're willing to do the work, I put out my best content free on my podcast. And so for someone coming, going out to buy something, I always say like, go consume the free stuff and ask yourself, did this actually help or was it noise? Did this actually help or do I feel more manipulated, more pressure to buy? You know, if, if, if the free stuff is helping you, that's where you should invest. So I don't know exactly how much, but that's the rule I would use to say like, I'm, I'm gonna take my credit card out and pay. Pay attention before you spend money. Far too many people wait until afterwards. And some people are jump the gun and just, just spend the money and then, you know. They end up in a place where, yeah. you know, they might be working with somebody who doesn't have a clue what they're doing, is using somebody else's frameworks to make up their product, yeah. you know, doesn't really have the experience. And then you're in a terrible place. You know, the, the problem with coaching and consulting is you don't know you're in a bad coaching relationship for a while. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's really true. I had one of those a uh, few years back. It took like a good four months. <laughs> to, to figure it out well and, yes. and here's the here's here's the really hard part about that gilbert yeah. is for us as entrepreneurs one of the hardest things to do is ask for help like let's get let's just bottom line this for us emotionally and intellectually asking for help takes a tremendous amount of effort i call it the entrepreneur's dilemma we need far more help than the average person to get to where we want to go but anytime we have to ask for help or support of any kind it makes us feel vulnerable and exposed and so when, when someone asks for help and then they end up in a bad coaching relationship with somebody who's one step ahead of their customers or doesn't know the result that they're selling, it's horrible because a lot of times, I, I mean, I hope you didn't take it this way, Gilbert, but what a lot of people do is they beat themselves up. They're like, oh, now I spent $10,000 and I'm not making the progress I want. I'm not getting what I want out of it. You know, I must suck so bad because look at all the testimonials this person has. You know, that, that's what I call an abusive coaching relationship. It's when somebody's when somebody doesn't really give you what they promised and then you end up feeling responsible for the failure, that to me is one of the biggest challenges that we have in coaching today. And the way to avoid that is consume the free stuff, ask the questions that I shared with you earlier. And then when you go and engage with somebody, like get on the phone with somebody, talk to them about their products, make sure that what you're buying is going to resolve what you want. And there's a long line of people who've had positive results. Then you're going to get to be able to pick up some momentum and move forward. Yeah. That's, that's awesome advice for our listeners that are, you know, this time they're struggling and then they're trying to grow the business and they just want to figure out how to, someone find someone to show them the ropes to get them to the next level. Um, so in closing, what actually it's a question that's uh, not very related to the previous uh, questions, but what was the best question you have ever been asked for running your business for when you found the answer to it, it made all the difference for you. When I was a kid, when I was, when I was a kid, when I was younger in business, I used to ask every successful person like, Hey, what would you tell somebody my age? in order to, so that I could achieve the type of success you have. And I was around really successful people. I got to be around people who had massive companies, massive organizations. They were CEOs of big companies. And the answer I got most consistently from the people I respected was um, your personal habits, what you do every day is going to create your success. You know, I think we're all looking for this magic bullet in business, or we're looking for like the promotion that's going to change everything or the strategy that's going to make everything happen for us. And what I heard over and over again was what you do day to day creates your life and creates your success. So the best advice I ever got was to pay attention to my personal habits, my personal routines, the decisions I make in my personal life, because that is going to create the success or the lack of success that I have. So for me, that became almost an obsessive focus on morning routine and nutrition and hydration and optimizing myself so that I'm 
fully present, aware, and ready to create the, the life and the success that I want. And I think far too many people today are convinced that the only way to create success as an entrepreneur is to beat yourself up and to hustle and to break yourself down and to make it so that you feel pain every day. Yeah. And in my experience, that has massive diminishing returns and you may grow a business that way, but you're not gonna like what you end up with. Mm -hmm. So the faster you start focusing on morning routine and water and making sure you're moving every day, making sure you're hydrated or you're eating the right way every day, making sure you're protecting yourself and taking care of yourself. That is the fastest way to success. And I know that this flies in the face of what a lot of people say out there of like hustle and beating yourself up and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not a goal setting expert. I'm actually a goal achievement and execution expert. And so what I tell people on the front end has to work in the back end. And when you tell people on the front end, you need to kill yourself on the back end, you end up with a dead person. So what I tell people on the front end is the more you take care of yourself, the more you're going to grow the business that you actually want and get the results you want. Yeah, that's, that's an awesome, that's awesome response to that. And uh, our listeners will truly love your candidacy to, towards this topic of, of building powerful habits that over time, the consistency will get you the results that you want and the life that you want. Can I share the promotion we have coming up that actually revolves around that, Gilbert? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Okay, so, so we have this promotion coming up October 6th, 7th, and 8th. We're calling it Momentum Masterclass, and I'm going to be training for three days. So three days, are the, the 6th, 7th, and 8th, I've got a morning session and an afternoon session. And in the three days, we're going to go through the entrepreneurial personality type and really understanding yourself better and knowing exactly where you are in business, where you should be focused. Then we're going to talk about uh, what you should be doing next and, and like what is going to actually get you into momentum. And then we're going to assemble a plan to get there so that you can go out, start moving forward, have the clarity and confidence and commitment so that you can mash the accelerator pedal to the floor and go as fast as you want. You know, I, I know a lot of people have been knocked sideways by the coronavirus or they've been overwhelmed by their business growing so fast. Either way, these three days are going to show you how to take whatever's going on and transmute it into momentum. And so if you go to Momentum Master class. It is absolutely free. Three days training with me. I don't do fake trainings where yeah. every one of them is a sales webinar. I want you to show yeah. up like if you're going to come show up with a pen, show up ready to learn and show up knowing that if you spend three days with me by the end of the three days, you will be in momentum and you will learn. Remember everything I just said about free product. I'm going to make certain that if you come to our free event and you consume it, that you feel so much of a change in your life that you know you can trust us as an organization. So if you go to MomentumMasterclass.com, October 6th, 7th, and 8th, I will be there live and I'd love to see you there. Awesome, I'll put that in the show notes and those that are interested, definitely check it out. Of course, you just said it's free masterclass and there's no, there's no pitch, it's not a pitch fest. And no. I've attended some of those so-called trainings that you know they said it was valued as something and it was and I got it for free and then pretty much it was like three days of, well, not three days, but you know, they started pitching on the second day. They already started pitching, pitching a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, definitely check it out. I'm sure you get a lot of value out of it. And uh, it was great to have you on the show, Alex. It's been a real pleasure. Really loved uh, your vulnerability to share, you know, all of the ups and downs you've been through and, you know, your, your opinion on the state of coaching and what's going on nowadays and how you should really ask the right questions when deciding you know, who to work with and uh, when to find coaching and when to actually, you know, go in and consume the free stuff first before you make a decision. So thanks for coming on the show, Alex. It's been a pleasure. Oh, Gilbert, it was my pleasure. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the interview and uh, who knows, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. You can find more episodes every Tuesday. If you haven't done so, please subscribe for more updates as they come. Until next time.